A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. This is episode number 38 of the podcast. Thank you for the continued support and the listeners. Um, guys, are, you mean so much to me. So I appreciate you guys tuning in, checking out what we have on deck. Today I bring on Justin Mason, who has been um, a big inspiration and motivation in terms of the amount of work he does for the community and the amount of effort he puts into giving people a platform to express their content and through, either through podcasting or written content. And he just puts out good energy into the world to, you know, to make yourself flourish and hopefully branch out into other areas and avenues of fantasy baseball. So, um, it was awesome to get him on and talk about kind of like the history of fantasy baseball and his life and who were some of his biggest influences and why we think like it's so important to just, you know, not be a bag of shit and just be optimistic, be nice to people and good things will happen to you if you're willing to work hard and you enjoy doing fantasy breakdowns and fantasy evaluation. Yeah, and we also cover some 12 and 15 team NFBC league that we are have been a part of, and we drafted in, in three leagues together right now. Um, so we kind of just go over some of the aspects of strategy and how he builds his team, and you know just talk about um, more of like a team construct approach and you know how we like to put together our teams differently than others or likewise. So, um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy that. Um, it's about that time, you know, that baseball is, it's coming, it's coming. I know there's been some back and forth between the players union and MLB and, um, pretty optimistic that things will get settled in a smooth fashion, even though they haven't been so smooth doing it in recent history, but just remain optimistic. Baseball, baseball will be here soon. Get involved in some drafts. Get in there. Start making some decision points. Start making um, some draft boards in your head. And start learning the flow of the marketplace. And learning how to utilize it. And best taking advantage of the strategies that you like to employ during your draft. So, um, yeah. With that being said, let's get into the episode. Thank you. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. 
Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You don't use this video, right? No, negative. Cool. <laughs> All righty, folks. Welcome to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Tonight I have on a special guest. His name is Mr. Justin Mason, co-owner of the Fantasy Benefits, friend with Fantasy Benefits, creative TGFBI. I mean, I can keep reading it, but I think everyone either A, knows it, or either tired of hearing it, or I could just have you say. But my favorite one is that you're a model, Justin. How you doing tonight, buddy? And I'm wearing, you know, everybody listening can't see the Justin Mason Saunders t-shirt. Ooh. I just picked up from Rotoware, um, but uh, I am wearing that tonight, uh, and you know, really, really embracing my model roots on the podcast. It's it's, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here, Rob. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thank you for making some time. Yeah, and talking to me tonight. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're. You, you were one of the guys when I first started listening to podcasts and getting into some more, like when I wanted to like, decided I wanted to take a, like an approach to doing some, some content. I remember hearing about the TGF AI league and I'm like, Oh, how do you get into this league? And then, you know, I read the requirements. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something. You know, I'm like, this would be fun to get involved with guys like this. And I'm truly, you know, blessed and grateful to have gotten to met everybody you know, and it's awesome. It's a great, 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 great community. Um, so I just wanted to extend my thanks to like being who you are, like doing what you do. Um, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, it's sure like you show a deep passion to like, let everyone have a platform and get involved. And I think that's awesome. So it's cool to have you on. And, you know, I've been, I've been looking up to like what you've been doing for a long time now. So this is cool to have you on. Hey man, I really appreciate that. It's uh, I, I tell people like, it's no secret. Like I'm, I'm in sobriety, um, you know, recovering alcoholic, recovering drag addict. Um, and one of the key tenets of the, you know, kind of the 12 step model of recovery is passing on the, the gifts you were given. And I kind of do that in, the fantasy industry, right? People right. like Paul Sporer and Jason Collette and Lauren Michaels and Howard Bender and Eno you know, Saris, like they helped me get to where I'm at. Like right. they they took an interest in me um, and gave me a platform that I never would have gotten on my own. Uh, and so I like to do things that are going to do that for other people. And, and TGFBI has been become one of those, you know, things where anybody can you know who's in the industry can come and play and win and become a big name you know you look at right. kevin hastings last year like nobody knew who kevin was you know uh outside of you know lenny melnick's fantasy sports network where he was working yeah um and then he goes and he wins tgfbi and now he's writing a picture list and he's got you know got his own podcast and you know and like he showed he can beat the big boys and i think that's like the beauty of tgfbi is it gives everybody a shot to prove how good they are Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, it's um, how many contestants did you have last year? Over 400? Uh, no, we were oh, at like 380 something last year. We're going to be at like 435, I think this year. That's I'm, gonna, I'm finalizing the leagues actually tonight after we speak. Um, oh, so, sweet, man. Awesome. You know, I, I've got them pretty much kind of where I want them. But now it's like, okay, this person's definitely in. Sorry, this person's not. And, you know, go through the final list. And 
I think it's going to be 435. So 29 leagues of 15 people each. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I was, I was super excited to have one an entry last year during um, one of the, one of the charities. Um, and this year, you know, I was like, Hey, I forgot I had that one from last year. Mm-hmm. And I passed that on like, and, and you're like, yeah, absolutely. And it was cool. I was able to give Jenny a shot to come and yeah. You know, yeah so, you know, I'm like, it's great. This is like, I was like, so happy to do that for her and just pass it along. Like, you know, just like you said, and um, yeah, it's, um, I'm super excited to get involved with that um, and doing all these, you know, podcast battle, the podcast league, just getting to know everyone a little better through the zoom in and, you know, podcasting and it, it's awesome. Everyone's real cool. Yeah. It's, it's such an amazing industry, you know, and like don't worry, fantasy football has got its own cool, like people and, Uh, community and stuff like that but there's something different about the fantasy baseball industry that is much less cutthroat and competitive right and people are really you know keen on helping each other like you know when I have questions about advanced stats like I can call up Alex fast you know and be like hey can you explain this to me or you know if I've got, you know, questions about pitching like I can, you know, I can email or call up Eno Saris and be like Hey, I don't quite get what's going on here. What do you think, you know, or Doug Thorburn or, you know, you know, people who like know more than me because I'm, you know, right. like I, I consider myself a smart guy and I know what's going on, but there are definitely people in the industry that are way better at certain aspects of things than I am. And it's so cool that uh, everybody's willing to help out and just, you know, take time out of their schedule. Like you see all these, you know, guys going on podcasts and, uh, and doing things for other people. And it's just such a cool, amazing community. Uh, and, uh, I'm glad that TGFBI hasn't been embraced by so many people uh, to allow it to grow. Cause, I mean, we started with like a hundred, I think like a hundred and thirty people or something like that, hundred and forty people uh, in the first one, and now we're gonna have four hundred something, and I think it's just gonna continue to grow. That's awesome. Yeah, have I, yeah. How big can it get, right? You know, it's just gonna. Um, is, yeah, that's that's that that's amazing. Um, yeah, it's um. It's, it's pretty interesting to, uh, you know, like you said, like everyone, everyone podcast and everyone's creating content and um, it's such a fascinating dynamic, right? Like we're, we're all willing to share these things out in the public, right? And then we go ahead and say, yeah, let's, let's do a draft together. You know, it's like, you know, you would never go to war and like tell the, the other country what you're going to do right but that's technically what we're doing and we're having fun with it you know and at, at, at like a nice you know um competent level so it's pretty it's just like a different dynamic you can't find yeah it, it is it's it's uh I, I like that analogy that you you would never like tell your you know your your, your battle opponent like in a war yeah. time <laughs> scenario that and hey, we do it uh, I like to invade from this side, but like, you know, Toby would be like, yeah, I'm taking two pitchers. In the yeah. First two rounds. yeah. Still like, stop me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, then, and then, you know, and then throw down $1,700 and go stop me. What you know, stop, you know, or, you right. know, you or I, you know, when we're entering the main event, it's not like we're hiding from people what we're going to do. We just, we're just saying, listen, we're going to put it out there and you got to figure out a way to beat me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. Like, like you said, just plant, plant your flag and, um, you know, yeah, just like we say uh, down the Jersey Shore, come at me, bro. 
<laughs> oh man. So recently you um got nominated for uh Fantasy Sports Writers Association Award. Um why don't you go ahead and tell tell the guest um the listeners about that. Yeah, so we got nom- I got nominated for two awards. Um I got nominated for best podcast for the sleeper in the bus. Uh, and then Friends of Fantasy Benefits got nominated for our draft guide. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I really, I do want to win the best podcast uh, again. And because uh, we won, I think in 2018 or 2019. Um, but what I really want to win is, is the best publication for the, for the draft guide. Cause we got put up against like, uh, like, you know, the baseball HQ forecaster, the baseball HQ uh, minor league analyst, the Road to Wire Draft Magazine, like we got put up against, it's like a bunch of big publications, like the big guys and us, right. yeah. um, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. And like, I mean, it's, it's, it's such like, usually when like people, you hear people go, it's just an honor to be nominated. Like, that's what you have to say. We want to win. But this one, it's like, it's really honor just to be right. nominated because I never thought we actually would. And it's just a real testament to the hard work that, uh, my guys uh, uh, over at Friends of Fantasy Benefits do, um, you know, they they work their ass off to put together um, a, a draft guide that was like 400 pages last year. I think it's 355 pages this year. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I was up this year. I was up till three, four o'clock in the morning every night for three or four weeks writing i think i wrote 22 articles for the draft guide and um you know just a lot of imagine yeah i can't imagine what you have to you know get done to get that and do everything else that you're still doing at the same time so (laughs) like that that's wild god bless you like how how many um writers were a part of this draft guide i want to say this year we had i think 14 or 15 writers um last year i think it was like 20 um so like this year different people took up you know larger portions and stuff Mm -hmm. and i i mean i i only wrote like maybe eight or nine pieces last year and then this year i I wrote 22 um but you know it's 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 a lot of work you know guys and guys in the industry that are unknown um you know i'd love to see them you know see them win this because it's like People don't know how good Jim Bay is or Andrew Dewhurst or Randy Haynes or Ray, Ray Coon, um, you know, uh, Gabe Zamet. Like these are guys that are really, really good in the industry. And that's the beauty of Friends of Fantasy Benefits is I, I, I said all the time is I kind of use it as like it's like the minor league system of the fantasy industry. Okay. Like the, these guys like come to me with no experience uh, either they develop their own voice or I help them. Uh, and then they get picked up by the big dogs. Like, you know, uh, Mike Alexander's now working over and Andrew Dewar's both working over a fantasy alarm, doing content. Uh, Darius Austin works at BP, Mike Warner, my co-owner. Uh, he, he works at baseball HQ now. Um, you know, Matt Thompson went and helped start prospects live. Like, uh, it's, it's a great way to kind of get on the ground floor of some of these industry analysts are going to be big because these guys do great work and it's so awesome to see, uh, them get recognized. Um, and if you want to buy this year's draft guide, you can do it at Amazon. It's called the fantasy benefit. You can buy it either paperback or ebook, or you can uh, email me for the $7 PDF, justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com. Bam, boom. bam, 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 boom. 
I gave out, um, I get a giveaway for a couple of them this past week, the last week. And yeah, um, I know that the, the fellas that won it were, were pretty impressed with the depth of it and um, what you guys had in it. I personally like the team by team breakdowns, you know, um, I feel like that helped just as like a first, you know, skim through just, just, just to make sure like um, I'm kind of understanding the depth charts and things. And um, I, I love it. I love a draft guide that has that in there. I think that's a good mm-hmm. part. Yeah. You know, cause I remember like, even when I was um, little and growing up, my brothers would always even like not read the, the fantasy magazines, but was like the street and Smith baseballs. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I used to just love reading the team by team things, you know, like the, I just like my first uh, experience of consuming, um, you know, baseball like uh, guides and stuff like that. And uh, so I always like the team by team breakdown for some reason that stuck in my head. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we did all 30 team previews and then I had to write like a huge free agents because, <laughs> you know, we were talking about before the start of the, uh, the the podcast, like it's such a nightmare right now, not knowing who's like going to sign where and stuff. And so right. like, like do a publication like that. It's so difficult. Uh, but yeah, I mean, some of the strategy guides, especially if like you're into fan tracks, best ball, Zach um, uh, Meyer did a great uh, best ball breakdown, some good NFBC breakdowns in there. Yep. Uh, we go position by position, uh, you know, and then auction values and ranks and prospect ranks and things like that. So it's just, yeah, man, it, it's got everything you need. I, I, and, you know, and like, it's a great, it's a great tool to pair with other really good draft guides out there. Cause like, you know, Michael Simeone's about to drop his yep. uh, draft guide SP streamer, you know, Joe Pisapia does a black book and I don't think they compete. I think they complement each other well with a lot of the other guides out there. Absolutely. And I, I always just, you know, try to tell myself, just consume as much as your brain can handle. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, try, I try to consume as much as I can. And, and, you know, like, and yeah, it's until the point where I'm like, okay, I can't keep up with all this, but I try to just get, you know, get my eyes on everything I can, you know, I just feel like, yeah because there's so much more stuff out there too now. And I'm like constantly finding different, you know, avenues that I want to go down. Oh, like I want to learn about uh, seam shifted wake. I want to learn about spin, spin design and spin mirroring. And I want to learn about vertical bat angle, but I'm like, but I still want to really play like fantasy, you know, like it's, there's so many things like you can really just read all day long, but I try to do as much as I can to consume. Cause there's so much good, great content out there, you know? There really is. And I mean, that's what I, I tell people all the time, like read as much as you can, listen as right. much as you can. Like, you know, I mean, it's very rare that I don't have a podcast playing in my ear or if I'm sitting down at my desk for work and stuff that I don't have, you know, picture list open or fan graphs open or, you know, yeah. baseball savant <laughs> open or, or something open while I'm, while I'm working just to kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. what's this new thing? Because, I mean, there is, there's a ton of great information out there and uh, you got to absorb as much as you can to kind of keep up with everybody else. Right. And it's hard, just hard to peel away when like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'll, I'll bring my iPad into the kitchen while I'm like making food and just like constantly looking at the draft board, you know, did anyone mm-hmm. pick, you know, it's like, yeah. I just, I can't peel away for it's bad, but it's great. I love it. I wouldn't rather be doing anything else, you know, than just, you know, trying to just absorb and do drafts, you know, that's what we're doing right now. We're drafting like maniacs, but mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, you and I are in a draft together right now. We just made our picks. 
Yes. Um, and it's it's my 10th draft already this season. It's like, oh, man. And now they're saying there might be a delay to the start of the season. I could have another month of drafts. I'm like, my, my kids aren't going to have a college fund by the time we start this season. Yeah, I know. I might I might just like pick a point maybe after this one and just take like a nice little reset and you start like maybe, you know, re- trying to read even more instead of just because your days just get lost. And like it mm-hmm. becomes I feel like when I do too many in a row, it becomes like an 150 round draft, uh, you know, instead of like three separate 50 round drafts. It's just like it becomes like a never ending cycle. And I'm like, uh, do I even know the guys I pick? You know, so you really got to like, I don't know. I I feel like I'm better when I'm like I take a breather and just like do a little reset. And like you said, if there's more time now to draft. Uh, yeah, they don't want to get caught too, too many. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm usually like, I usually try to cap myself at a round. Well, every year I say, this is the year I'm going to cut back on leagues. <laughs> like every year coming into it. And this year is like the first year in the last like four or five years where I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna draft as many as I draft. Like, you know, right. Uh, you know, can't, and can't say no. I'm doing a lot more draft and holds early, which is right. smart, I think, because I don't have to deal with the fab. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I may need to take a little bit of a break here for a little bit from the drafts and detox a little bit. Right. Right. Cause I feel like, like my, uh, my prep it gets a little interrupted by the drafts when I'm, I want to just read your guide straight through. I want to read mm-hmm. the forecaster straight through. I want to read everything. Like I want to make sure I'm mining the news and all that fun stuff, you know, but, yeah. and Sometimes it's just like a snafu when it's a constant draft. So yeah, take a little breather and then uh, tr- try to get some more, um, maybe we'll get some more podcasts when he's going, right? I think we discussed maybe even doing an auction. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. I, I That group, uh, you know, that we did with, with Battle of the Podcast is just a, such a fun group. Absolutely. Like it's, um, you know, it's like, it's the perfect amount of trash talk, uh, um, you know, to, yep. Keep it, yep. to make it feel like, like it does in a home league with your buddies and stuff. Um, right. But like serious players. So it's, it's like legit good info and uh, and like a difficult room to draft in. Uh, yeah. It's, it was, it was a really perfect mix of talent. Zach uh, Waxman did a really good job of, uh, of gathering a really good group. Of curating the league. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it's a great bunch. And I just feel like through the, through the live um, drafting and just talking in that chat, I feel like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've like got to know you guys in such a d- different level, you know, and it's so cool. And like you said, it's a perfect mix of trash talk. We get all debates that we normally get through a thread, but it's just in the chat. Mm-hmm. And we're usually just like inserting tweets from other people who are tweeting crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> so um tell me exactly when you started playing fantasy um how long ago was it i started playing in 2001 was my first year of fantasy baseball i uh i was kind of a troubled kid um and i ended up moving from dc where i grew up out to uh northern california and with uh, some second cousins of mine and the guy who kind of became my dad um he was like hey i'm gonna try this thing out it's called fantasy baseball uh and he goes 
you want to you want to do it with me and it was like a way of us to bond because we yeah. didn't really know each other um and i quickly fell in love and i was not like a baseball fan really at that point either like interesting uh, like i i grew up playing baseball but uh the moment i found lacrosse i was like i'm done with baseball i, I want violence like i like to hit people. <laughs> Um, and so like, I was a pretty good baseball player growing up, but like, I stopped playing when I was probably like eighth or ninth grade. Um, and so like, I didn't even watch baseball. Uh, and, but I got into playing fantasy and I went, oh man, I love this. I, I, and it wasn't so much like the baseball in general, but it was, I wanted to sit down at a table and prove to you, I was better than you. Um, and so, uh, you know, very quickly, you know, it consumed, you know, this was like an old school four by four league, uh, ale only uh, auction that uh, had been going on since like the early to mid eighties. Um, and I spent hours upon hours on this one league every day. Like I, I was reading anything I could get my hands on, figuring out a way to beat these old guys. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, then I slowly, um, you know, through listening to podcasts got introduced to Fangrass, got interested or introduced to other league types. Um, and I got hooked, man. And it's been, you know, for like the last 20 years, it's been just a huge part of my life. That's awesome. That's such a the great little journey that you took. Um, do you, so you mentioned that four by four league um, was, is that when kind of format is like a little different than the norm do you like um do you prefer that or you know it's good to mix it up sometimes right to have like a different like some different leagues that may not be just standard five by five i mean i like a standard five by five it's my favorite way to play yeah um but ultimately i've always said like you give me the rules and i'm gonna figure out how to beat you it's a game right and like don't get me wrong we all want to know like who the best players are and why we think this guy's going to break out or this guy's going to bust and why we should bid this amount on this player or draft this player at this spot. Uh, and how, you know, but ultimately it's a game. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's not real baseball. It's a game. And so you give me the rules of the game and I don't care if the game is monopoly chess, fantasy baseball or Parcheesi. I'm going to figure out the best way to beat you at this game. Nice. And that's just who I am as a person. Um, and so <laughs> like there, there's some like analysts in the, in the industry that go like that are, are definitely analytical based. They go by the numbers. There's some analysts in the industry like that uh, are all about watching the game and going, okay, I see this guy's arm action. Um, you know, I, you know, this is, this is his foot strike. This is, you know, this, and this is how I'm going to evaluate this player. And for me, like I can do the numbers, I can do the analysis by watching games, but me, it's about using the, the rules of the game itself to beat people. Um, and so like, you know, a few years ago I was in Tout Wars and they had this really weird uh, structure for a head-to-head league, head-to-head points league. And like people weren't paying attention to the rules of the league. And like I drafted <laughs> for the $260 budget, I spent $200 on pitch, pitching. And everybody's like, what are you doing? I'm like, look at the rules. Like, you know, and if it wasn't for some bad luck, I would have won that league like far and away, um, you know, because it's about learning the rules of your league. So I don't tend to play in a lot of leagues that are different, but if you give me a league and I, and I say I'm going to join, 
you better believe I'm going to use those rules to my advantage. Yeah. Like bring it, you know, like my favorite thing, my favorite thing is getting into the NFBC chat room and someone said, Hey, um, have you guys played a best ball yet? He said, my first time. He goes, do you guys know what, what, um, blank and blank is like points wise. And I'm just like, yes, (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for coming. (laughs) <laughs> like, well, I, I'm really just gonna throw down 150 bucks and not know the rules either that or he's trolling you know i don't know it's like he, he seems legit concerned about the points <laughs> well and see and that's the thing about like if you're gonna join nfbc for the first time really dig into the rules like because right. like there are some rules in nfbc that you're not gonna see in your normal home league and those rules matter right you know, <laughs> That Friday switch for hitters, it oh, matters. Like, matters, yeah. you know, um, you know, knowing the player pool in a round in, in a draft that goes 50 rounds, it matters. Like, make sure, you know, that you, you really understand the rules of any league that you join. Cause I mean, a lot of people, they don't, they go, Oh, oh I played fantasy baseball before. I'm just going to play fantasy baseball. Well, a tweak in a rule can really, you know, throw the value of certain players you know certain strategies like up down out the window uh and so like the biggest thing about fantasy baseball that i think isn't preached enough is know your rules yeah absolutely it's gonna it's gonna trump the player evaluation and everything else all the luck you can absorb you have to know through and through your rules if you're in keeper leagues you know just pay attention keep 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 historical data you know find the tr- like just pay attention like find the trending guys you know like uh, i like on an auction i'm like yeah this guy's gonna take these two 20 catchers 100 percent. like how do you know that i'm like because he does it every year what do you mean <laughs> I, I, I keep a dossier on players yeah like, yeah like um i was talking about this recently on a podcast like when i like when i went out to new york for my first main event uh, a few years back, like I showed up a few days early and I sat in every single draft that happened the day before my draft. Wow. So I could write down the list of players of the people who were going to be in my draft the next day. Yeah. Like la- last year, because everything was online, I before I drafted my last main event, which was the last main event of the year, I had the draft board from every main event. Like, so I knew exactly, you know, because I think over two thirds of my league could draft another main event already. Like I knew exactly who these people were targeting and it just, you know, I'm going to take every advantage I can get. Right. Like if you, if you, especially you're putting down 1700 bucks or, I mean, even if you're putting down 150 bucks, I want to take advantage of every single opportunity that I can. Right. Like we mentioned before, it's a little game of anything, game of chess, a war game, and we're putting this stuff out there. You're saying, like, like you said, come, come beat me. Um, um, this is pretty much what I'm gonna do. I know what you're gonna do. So let's dance. Let's do a little dance. You know. <laughs> Please enjoy our quick break with a robot segment from the robot himself, Phil Dussault, on Twitter at Phil Dussault twenty seven. This is the Robot Is It Real segment where the robot himself, Phil Dusso, talks about random baseball stats. I talked about innings pitch for starting pitchers in a recent segment, and I wanted to touch on it again. 
Inix Pitch is an easy number to look at because it's right there on the Fangraphs page and it never game locked, but it, it's a number we have to be careful with. Let's use Kenta Maeda as an example. He had a great season in 2020. He improved his K rate, had a 2.7 ERA, and had 66 and two-thirds innings pitched in 11 starts. If we do some quick math, we'll say that's 6.1 innings pitched per game started. Multiply that by 32 starts, and it could give him 195 innings in 2021. The problem is that innings pitched is a combination of a number of other stats, but most importantly, it's directly linked to ERA. In his career, Maeda has a 3.75 ERA and has faced on average 4.1 batters per inning. This number has nothing to do with how the Dodgers handle them. It's purely a representation of how many batters he usually faces to get through three outs in an inning. Last year, he was a much better pitcher than that. He had a 2.7 ERA, and as a result, he only faced 3.7 batters per inning instead of 4.1. Now, even if we're optimistic about Maeda for 2021, odds are he'll be around four batters per inning. If Maeda faces the same number of batters per game as in 2020, but we used the number of 4 batters per inning instead of 3.7, his innings pitched last year should have been 62, not 66 and 2 thirds. So instead of 195 innings for 2021, we're talking about 180. If we dig deeper into the game locks, we can also see that other than the August 18th game when he had 115 pitches because he had a chance at a no-hitter, he never had more than 95 pitches in a game. Based on all that, unless he can replicate last year's success, the most innings that we can expect Maeda to pitch is probably around 175. And if we're a little more conservative and project him for 30 starts instead of 32, then 160 to 165 innings is a much more realistic number. I use Maeda as an example, but my point is we have to be careful when projecting innings pitched, and we can't just look at how deep a pitcher pitched into games in 2020 to project 2021. I want to know about your biggest influence in this industry when you got started. Um, if you could, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of guys or girls that you could think of, but tell me who, who was like the, the, the first initial like impact into your content world. Oh man, that's a difficult one. Cause you know, like I said, like there's a little, a lot of people yeah. along the way that really helped me. Um, you know, I mean, you know, Lore Michaels, um, you know, rest in yeah. peace. Um, he was a guy that really took an interest in me. Um, and I, you know, while, you know, him and I saw things very, very differently in terms of the fantasy game. The one thing we both kind of grasp onto is I'm going to do what I think is right. Right. You know, right. Um, he was one of those guys like, he was going to draft the team he wanted to draft. He didn't care what anybody thought. Um, and he was going to write the things and say the things um, that he wanted to write and say. And he didn't care what anybody thought, uh, you know. Um, and, like, that was something, like, that was a really good thing for me to learn early on. Uh, especially because, like, don't get me wrong. Like, the industry in itself is great. Love it. Like it can be really critical too, though, right? right. You get right. a lot, especially as you like build a platform, get known, um, and like that can be very difficult, especially when you're new. Like hearing people go, "Well, no, yeah, that sucks," or "You suck," or whatever, um, right. no. and like so to learn that lesson early on from him. Like 
you know, that he didn't care what people thought. This is how he evaluated talent. This is how he constructed teams. Um, this is how he wrote, how he, you know, did radio or, or podcasts, like, um, was like very influential on, you know, on me as a, as a content provider and as a fantasy player uh, that, you know, ultimately the only person I'm beholden to is myself. Like, you right. know, and people are either going to like that or going to dislike that. And there, I, I hope there are a lot of people out there who like me and like the content I provide. I know there are a lot of people who don't, um, you know, but that's okay. Like I, like I am in a way a lot like lore because I try to be a hundred percent authentic. Right. That's the way to be. Right. Just nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Just be up front. And like I like to say, don't be a bag of shit. And uh, <laughs> every, everything will be smooth. But you know what? Like, yeah, you talked about like if you, you know, once you first start getting some, you know, um, criticism thrown your way, like I've uh, tried to liken it to like a quarterback who throws an interception. Like you just have to be able to move on to that next play. Like, you know, mm-hmm. take it, take it as it is, absorb it, learn from it or toss it away, whatever you want to do, but just, you know, keep, keep swimming, keep going forward, you know? Yeah. And I mean, if, if you are new in this industry, um, you know, my best piece of advice is just be you, man. Yep. Um, and, you know, when I want my ego to get knocked down a peg or two, I'll go read the, my comment section of articles or I'll go read <laughs> my reviews over on iTunes and I'll find a few that'll knock that ego down for me. But ultimately, um, I'm just going to be who I am. Uh, and I, and I hope that's good enough. And so far it has been, and, you know, and I'm blessed to, you know, have a lot of people who support me, uh, and my work, you know, but no one can be a harsher critic than my wife. So it's like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like none of you like can, you know, can roast me as hard as she can. So it's like, whatever. Right. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh man. That's funny. So Right. Well, we're doing a bunch of drafts right now. I think mm-hmm. I have three drafts up that I'm looking at that we've been involved in. One is the Battle of the Podcast draft. Uh, another one was a, uh, um, a a draft champion as well in the NFPC. And then the other one is in um, NFPC 50, which is a 12-team league. Um, I want to ask you, so this is the first time I've you know been involved in drafts with you. So um, if you could, if you could give me... What, what kind of drafter would you call yourself? If it could be like one word, if you were like a team name, what would you call yourself? Uh, opportunist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Good. I think, I think there are, you know, there are certain people that enter a draft and they go, this is what I'm going to do. You know, we talk about Toby, right? Like in 90% of the drafts he's in, he's going pocket aces, Right. Um, or some version of, you know, pitching heavy first, you know, Phil Dussault, the robot, like he's going to hit pitching early. Um, you know, other guys, uh, you know, are going to go, well, I'm going to get a hitter and then a pitcher, or I'm going to go pitcher or hitter, hitter. And um, I, like, don't get me wrong. I plan out the, like, these are the scenarios I might have, but ultimately I like to build a team early on based on what I think is the best overall team like and so you know in this nfbc 50 that we're in right now together i had the fourth pick i took Degrom, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think in eight of my other nine drafts that I've done, I've took hitters in the first, you know, round. Um, I don't want to be beholden to any sort of particular strategy. I, I thoroughly believe that drafting a fantasy team um, or if you're doing an auction, you're putting together a puzzle, right? And there's a lot of different ways those pieces can fit together. And as long as you get the correct picture at the end, it's fine. Um, and I'm one of those people that feel very comfortable about my knowledge of the player pool, my, you know, how I can, you know, make up in any stat category late in the draft where I don't need to necessarily go, well, I have to take speed early or I have to take pitching early or I have to do this early. I can draft anybody. I can literally, I feel like I could put myself on auto draft for the first three or four rounds and then, okay, now I've got a plan. You know, this is who I've got. You know, obviously there's certain guys I like more than others. I'm more likely to take hitters earlier than pitchers um, just because that's the way I prefer to construct. But I am, I'm an opportunistic drafter. I want the best player at every spot. Um, And then once I'm five to 10 rounds in, I go, okay, where are my deficiencies and where do I need to make up ground? Right. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. you, You know, we, we all have our various approaches. I think it's good to diversify too. And like mm-hmm. in, in this NFBC 50, I kind of um, um, was different than all the other drafts I've approached so far in the off season, all the other draft and hold. I've been going pitching heavier first. I waited in the first two rounds as time and went offense and just tried a totally different type of build um, almost to like make myself feel uncomfortable on mm-hmm. purpose. And um just to see how I could adapt to it. And just maybe sometimes it falls into a spot where you're like, okay, I, I think I like this team or, you know, um, just to, tr- you know, try, try some stuff out, try some different builds. And, um, you know, and I, I have noticed, like, I guess in the draft and hold specifically that I do feel more comfortable going pitching earlier, like, especially if it's some, some heavy inning pitched arm guy that I feel like, all right, I pick like three guys and I'm like, that's maybe half of the innings pitch. I should hopefully need to like form a good solid base. And I feel more comfortable going that way, but I, I love my hitters too. Like they're so, it's so hard to go away from a good solid all around hitter as well. Well, and I think like, you know, one of one of the reasons why I like being kind of an opportunistic drafter is, you know, we see different things get pushed up, you know, in, in certain drafts. And like, and, you know, if you talk about like the battle of the podcast draft, like pitching got pushed up in a way that usually doesn't happen until like the last two or three weeks of draft season. Um, and yeah, everyone was, was mentioning that, like, this is, this is the March ADP board right here, you know, it is. And yeah. it was, it was one of those things where like, okay, I can either take like the 14th best starter with my second round pick, or I can just have like a dynamic offense. And I went, you know what? I feel really comfortable about like the pitching pool, um, and in getting, finding good bargains later on and things like that. So you know what? I, I'm going to just build an offense. And if everybody else is going to take pitching, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I want to zig when everybody else is zagging. Um, yeah, you got Trey and, Turner at, at, at both first round and, and the 15 teamers. Um, mm-hmm. Turner, Turner bellied and Turner Machado. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't argue with those bats at all. You know, this yeah. just 
you know, um, loved Trey Turner in that first round. Uh, he's, um, he's so, he, I think he's entered that point where he's like just a, a comfortability about him that, you know, you could pick him and he's just gonna, you know, not have a disastrous year. I think, you know, he's just so consistent. Um, and, well, and he just does with, so much for you, you know, for your team. Yeah. And that, and the thing about Turner too is we haven't yet quite seen that monster season that he's totally capable of because he's missed time with kind of weird injuries, you know, sliding into second base or breaking his hand, bunting, um, you know, and maybe that is who he is. He's a guy who's going to be, you know, maybe he's never going to play a hundred and, you know, 55 games um, and deliver the monster season. But I do think like there is that monster season coming where everything happens at the same time and he stays healthy. And all of a sudden, you know, you got that 2045, you know, 290 kind of year and you're going, Oh, this is the best player in fantasy. Right. Um, and if, if he's there at, you know, I've been drafted a lot in the middle uh, this year because I feel like there's a clear like top eight or nine guys and then a little bit of a drop off to the rest of the field. And so like put me at eight every time and I'll be happy uh, because I know I'm going to get one of those like top eight or nine guys, you know, in the first round. And for some reason, Trey Turner has fallen to me a bunch there. Right. And if he does, he's going to be on my team a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's just, a, he's a stud. I love him. I love him there. It's a great spot to not, um, you know, not take a guy like Bieber or, you know, and just go with the, you know, surefire thing, I think, in Trey Turner. He's, I know um, Jake Hallisker from the Rotosaurus in the 50, he took him with the first pick overall. And yeah. I think some people were, you know, maybe giving him a little like, oh, like, uh, really? Like, what, what am I missing? And, you know, it, as well as like your, like, I think a couple of people mentioned, oh, well, you know, that's why I could pick sixth or seventh and take him there. But if you like him enough, you know, to be like, this guy is the, you know, going to be the number one overall player. That's why you maybe try to get the one because you want to get him, you know? So um, it's, I don't think it's a bad pick anywhere in, in that first, you know, eight, nine, if you slips past there, then it's, yeah, it's extreme heavy pitching and something else, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've seen him go as late as like 11 wow. and I, I, I've never understood it. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, to be honest, like I don't typically, I don't do like a top 100 top 300 rankings. I only rank positionally. Okay. Uh, and largely because I think, you know, I want I'm, I'm I'm ranking for an audience like, you know, and so uh, everybody plays a different format. And so for me, I think it's more beneficial for people to know these are, this is my ranking of this position and versus that position. And, you know, and then mm, good point. You, you can pick in draft what you need right now. Oh, I need a shortstop. Okay. Let me go to the ranks. You know, I need a third baseman. Let me go to the ranks. Um, and so like, I haven't done like a, you know, a, a clear ranking of who my top, like eight guys are or 10 guys are like, you know, okay, for sure. It's Acuna for a second to tease third, you know, to grab fourth Cole, you know, I haven't done that. Um, and so I've, and I don't think that, I don't think there's that big of a difference really on a lot of those guys. Like if I walk out with any one of those top guys, I'm happy. And so my goal this year is to not draft in the top three. Like right. if, if yeah. I don't have to draft in the top three, 
Um, you know, I have tried to a few times just to get like, just in case I end up there, like for the main event or something like that. But ultimately I really want to draft like six through nine, like put right. me in one of those spots so I can get a better player on the wraparound um, as opposed to drafting either at the front or the back. Yeah. I, I, I know like at one point I was just, I just wanted to have a team with Cole, team with Grom. Um, I, I don't mind which way I go from there. Um, I prefer, prefer Grom, but I, and the, and the one you see that we did, I got the one and I didn't have Cole yet. So I'm like, okay, like I'm just going to take Cole here and I'll have my Cole team, you know, and I'm okay with diversifying that a little bit because, you know, um, I don't think you can go wrong either way with those pitchers and like you said, those top bats. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I'm trying to diversify more. Like I yeah. really, you know, cause I, I, I've made the mistake in the past of uh, like drafting the same team in like five or six different leagues. And you're like, Hey, this yeah. roster is almost identical to that roster. And then <laughs> yeah. two injuries and like, Oh, my season sunk. Um, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm definitely trying to do that more. And um uh, and I definitely trying to do that with like, you know, every once in a while taking a pitcher in the first round mm -hmm. uh, one, because people who know how I draft, like they don't see that one coming. They are not used to me doing that kind of thing. Um, and two, just kind of give me a better uh, diversification of, of kind of my portfolio. So I don't end up with, you know, cause the worst thing that could happen is you draft Trey Turner in 15 leagues right. and third week of the season, you know, he, you know, tears an ACL or something like that, or, you know, or, or breaks his wrist again, bat, uh, bunting. Um, and you're like, Oh, well, my season is just been shot in 15 leagues. So yeah, yeah, definitely. That, if, if you're like me and like Rob and you're drafting in a crap ton of leagues, you definitely <laughs> want to diversify a little bit. Right. And that's what I was saying. Like, I don't mind who I get in that range. So if I want to, like, if I map out how many drafts I want to try to do. So I don't want to like, um, my thinking at least has been, I want to be at both ends because um, I don't want to be like, Oh, well, I didn't, you know, I want to do one team with Cole, one team with Jake. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do the four and then maybe I don't get them. And then I have to do another league just to get them. in. <laughs> so it's almost like I was saying like a forced diversification. I'm like, I'm just going to get the one. I want to go Cole team and see what happens. And I'll just take them there. Can <laughs> that's it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to run into that issue of like, oh man, I got to do another league to draft Garrett Cole. So <laughs> it's almost like a forced one right there. Um, so it was so funny on a diversification thing. I, I was looking across your team. You have um, four catchers on the 15 team leagues and three right now so far in the 12 team league. And they're all different. All 11 catchers are different. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, pretty I, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so my catcher strategy this year is a little different than I think most people do and a little different than I've done in the past. Um, there are a lot of late catchers that I like and, uh, and they, I mean, I love JT Romuto. I do. I think he's a fantastic player. I think in, especially in certain formats, he gives you such an advantage over the field. The problem is he's, he's going at a premium, man. It's, it's so hard to pull the trigger on him is early he's going, especially in like two catcher NFBC formats. Um, and if I don't get that premier guy, it's really hard for me to pull the trigger 
on guys like Will Smith and Sal Perez, not because I don't believe in their talent. I do believe in their talent, but it's just like the advantage over the rest of the pool isn't nearly as great. And so there are a lot of guys I'm taking shots on and I'm really diversifying because, you know, one of the things that we know is there are two positions in baseball that get injured more than any other position. And that is pitching and catchers, catchers and pitchers get hurt. Uh, You know, I don't know what the exact statistic on catchers is, but I know, I think it's like 55% of pitchers hit the IL every year at some point and maybe not catastrophically, maybe, you know, obviously not, you know, we're not losing half the pool to Tommy John or anything, but at some point they're going to hit the IL. They're still going there. (laughs) Yeah. So what I want to do is I want to spread the risk a little bit. You know, there are certain guys I really like that are going late at catcher, you know, guys like Jason Castro or Omar Devarez, um, you know, uh, but I don't want it to be like, you know, Jason Castro gets hurt. And now I've lost a catcher on 10 different squads. Right. You know, and so, yeah, I, I, do, I have found myself spreading the risk a little bit more, especially at the catcher position, just because of the attrition of that position. Right. right. I think it's, again, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good thing to do to just try different strategy, try different builds. I, yeah. I find like um, probably a third of my teams have real Muto. Um, a third of my teams, are like I'm trying to do two in between 10 and 14, like a Contreras Nola um, kind of combo. And then I, my other third is waiting, you know, to, mm-hmm. as, as, so it's, you know, it's, I think it's good to, you know, um, see what works for you the best. And I feel like you can do it from different angles and still be successful, you know, um, yeah. as long as you obviously hit, you know, fill out your team as necessary, but um you know, I, I think there's some preferred methods by some people, and but you can find your avenue to win, I think, from each each attack. Yeah, and I mean, and that goes back to being an opportunistic drafter, you know, especially at a position like catcher. But really, I mean, I, I know there are like some people are like this year, like really bringing the drama, well, first base is shallow or second base is shallow or third base is shallow. Um, I don't – like they're definitely – Drop, bigger drop-offs at different positions but I don't think any position in particular is that shallow I think there you can find talent in every position late uh, and so for me it's about you know as often as I can getting the most amount of value or bang for my buck at every draft slot and so what I end up finding is I can get more bang for my buck at a non-catcher position more often Right. And so I'm, and, you know, and so, you know, typically people do this, you know, with their catcher strategy in these leagues is they're, they're doing one of two things. They're going, I'm going to take a guy early. I'm going to take a Real Muto. I'm going to take a Will Smith. I'm going to take a Sal Perez or a Travis Darno, And then I'm going to wait, or they're just going to say, I'm going to wait. And so there becomes, uh, you know, anybody's ever done an auction, in an auction league, there's always a soft middle portion of mm-hmm. a draft. Either people like fire out hard early or they back off early and the soft middle is actually in the front. Like there's always a soft middle where people are afraid to bid. That actually happens in snake drafts as well, where, you know, but it happens at certain positions. You know, at certain, you know, you'll see these long gaps of, you know, people aren't taking a catcher or people aren't taking a closer or people aren't taking, you know, this, you know, asset. And that's often the time I like to kind of strike and go, okay, 
nobody's touch you know everybody else has got two catchers or three catchers okay now is the time you know i'm gonna strike because nobody else is fighting me for it you know or this is the time i'm gonna take a closer because no one else is fighting me for it um you know i'm i'm not the person that typically jumps into a run unless i think a really big drop off at a position or or a category is coming right and i i think that's like the biggest key about um when you're doing these drafts and just being aware, right? So like we're, we're, we're making decision points, we're seeing um, different draft boards and then we're almost like programmed to when something is happening, you're just like, oh yeah, like here's this, this is gonna be the next round or mm-hmm. you can notice when it's off and you're like, huh, well, this draft board's different, you know, like, and to be aware of those points and to be able to pivot and pounce Pivot and pounce. That might be a T-shirt, Justin. <laughs> there we Pivot. go. <laughs> Pivot and pounce. <laughs> Call up Kenny at Rotorware. You got oh. it. Oh shit! But yeah, you know, just just being aware. Just make sure when you're drafting in these leagues that you're just con- like, just pay attention. Like know know the flows. Pay attention to ADP. Not to draft guys by it, but just to know like when. Like you said, want to take advantage. One little spot, I know. Mm-hmm. Here's some guys I like, and I know I can take them here. And you know, it it just lets the whole draft flow a lot better, much better I, for you. I think often, like especially if we're talking about NFBC, people will have, of course, like the draft page open, but then they're gonna also have like a tab of like the draft board. Yes, and like like don't get me wrong, like that's useful, and I like having it. But even more important is the roster board. Yeah, the roster grid. You got to have yeah. all three. That, and and yeah. that's, that's crucial, 100%. I'm so glad you said that. because yeah. Especially in these draft and holds, you know, that are 50 rounds and stuff. Because you can really, you know, like, so for instance, like in this draft we're in right now, I'm drafting in the four slot. Um, not usually where I would like to draft. But the nice thing is, is I can really dissect those three guys in front of me you know, when I'm about to make a pick and then I got to wait for it to go around the turn to make another pick, I can really go, okay, you know, I look right now and the one guy, the guy at the one spot, he's got five catchers. I don't have to worry about him taking catcher. Okay, the other two guys have three catchers. Oh, I don't have to worry about them taking a catcher. So if I'm going to take a catcher in the next round, I can wait until it gets back around. You know, I can look and go, you know, oh, they each, you know, each one of those guys has 17 or 18 pitchers. Okay, well, you know, it, they could take a pitcher, but it seems unlikely. It seems like more likely they're going to, you know, they're going to go after offense. And so if I'm debating between taking a guy like, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out random names, like Cedric Mullins versus, um, I don't know, Trevor Williams, even though they're t- going way far apart in ADP. <laughs> Um, so not, not a good example, uh, or Luis Patino and, and Cedric Mullins. Cause okay. I, I had this kind of situation and I went, okay, I think these guys are less likely to take a pitcher and they're definitely not taking a catcher. So they're all three of these guys, I think are going to probably take hitters right here. So I'm going to take Cedric Mullins right now. And then you pretty much, you know, feel confident that I'm going to get like Luis Patino or another pitcher of his ilk on the wraparound. And I I don't think people pay attention to that kind of page or like, if you don't have that drafting at a different site, you know, I think it's really important to like, like it, like uh, when I'm at an auction table, like an actual auction table, not online, 
like I'm keeping track of everybody's team. Yes. Like I'm not just keeping track of my team. I want to know what your roster construction looks like because it gives me a better idea that, okay, maybe this is a time where I can pounce on pitching or pounce on hitting or pounce on speed or pounce on, you know, power or batting average or whatever. Uh, because the rest of the room either isn't looking for that in this moment, or maybe, you know, they're looking for something else. Right. Right. Makes total sense. Just like I was just saying, just be aware, but that tab, I'm so glad you said that. Cause that's like pro tip right there. Numero uno, you got to have three, have all three of them up because like you said, that the, the positional breakdown is, is just great. Like, you know, you can, like you said, you can anticipate that next couple of picks and say, yeah, you know, this guy's got five catches. I can wait, you know? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I know in this draft, I had some, there were some pitchers that I was targeting that went a little earlier than I anticipated. So I think there was a couple of men's on uh, guys like Minor and Lindblom. And I was like, okay, so in in turn, I, I wanted a couple of guys like Trevor Rogers and, and Keegan Aiken, and I probably picked them maybe 40, 50 spots ahead of where, you know, I had previously taken them, but at, at the same point I needed the pitching that, that, and, and I didn't want to lose those guys. Like they were targets anyway, so I couldn't let them get away. So I just reached a little bit, you know, cause sometimes you just in the flow of the draft, you're just going to have to do that because if you just, you know, if you're like, no, no, I'm going to stick to this number that's here on this page that everyone else is doing, you know, I might not, I might miss out on too many guys, you know? So I think that's important to, you know, trust, trust your evaluation on some players and, and, and go with that. Like sometimes you got to throw away that 40, 50 pick difference because, mm-hmm. you know, your team needs it. And you, if you're, especially if it's a guy you really truly believe in, like just do it, you know, at this point of the draft, the, the volatility in the guys are, are nuts, you know, when you're picking in the four forties, four fifties. So um, at that point, just, just go get your guy, you know? Well, especially like if you're talking about like late in a draft, like, you know, we go back to the analogy of putting the puzzle together. If like you're getting late in a draft and, you know, you have like a one of the pieces of the puzzle missing is a little bit of speed and the other piece of the puzzle is you need a few strikeouts, right? And you're looking at what's left in the pool and you go, well, I got six guys on my list that can give me the kind of strikeouts I need from that draft slot but there's only one guy that's gonna, or two guys that are going to give me that speed that I need. Well, well their ADP or my ranks say he should be going 40 picks later. There's a lot more of the ways to finish that puzzle. If you wait on that pitching, even though it may make more sense in terms of your valuations or ADP, you throw it out the window because you're trying to finish that puzzle, you know, because chances are it's much more likely that, those two speed guys are going to go before those six pitchers, right. you know, cause there's just less of them. So, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like I know there are, there are drafters out there that go, well, I'm only going, I'm never going to reach above my values or I'm never going to reach this far above ADP. Um, and you know, if that's how you like to roll more power to you, you build the team the way you want. But for me, um, I'm going to do what's best for my team every round or in an auction with every bid. And sometimes that's going to make people go, huh, why would you do that? Um, but there's a method to the madness. And I've, I've, right. you know, been playing long enough. I've constructed enough teams to know that, 
you know, sometimes you need to do something a little bit out of the box in order to make the puzzle come together the way you want it to. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, you just have to, like you said, trust the work that you're putting in. Um, you know, I, I, I like to, you know, give myself a, a decent list of guys and then just look at the ADP and say, oh, okay, like I have this guy 15 spots ahead of what the, you know, what the market's thinking right now. So um, I know that those are areas where I want to take advantage of because that's where you're going to get the you know biggest pop potential from your team, you know, mm -hmm. um, and take advantage of that ADP versus your value. As long as you're right, obviously, but um, that at least like just a, a type of system, I guess, that I try to like adhere to a little bit because it just makes me feel like an instant indicator that I know, okay, like this is where I can, um, they, even down to 150, all right, I like this guy in this area, but he's going 200. So, you know, you can wait till that 200 or, you know, just feel comfortable and pushing up around the two. Like don't, don't hesitate to do things like that because you're hedged on that number. Like just know the area and then make a decision of what you want to do from there. Well, and I think what people forget that is ADP is groupthink, right? Right. Yeah. And it, it's the average position that player has been drafted by a large number of leagues. That doesn't mean it's right. And like, you know, yeah. so, like, trust. Right. If, you, if you like a player, you know, 20, 20 picks or 50 picks ahead of its ADP, it's because you're thinking different on the group. Now you should challenge yourself. Like when, you know, uh, Dave McDonald and Jake Callisker tell me they have Zach Plesak as their number 10 pitcher. And I'm like, well, I've got him in my number 23 pitcher. Like that gives me an opportunity to challenge myself and go, okay, am I right? Are they right? Or is it somewhere in the middle? Let me, let me sit down and really dig into this. Right. Listen to their arguments. Um, you know, or if I look, if I see a guy in the ADP and I go, you know, Brandon Lau is going at pick 72 on average, but I think he should be going around pick 50. Okay. Maybe I need to dig a little deeper and figure out why the group as a whole is lower than me. Right. Uh, but ultimately if I come back out of it and go, no, nah, I think he should be, he should be going around pick 50. I might wait till pick 60 because I think I can still on average get him there. Exactly. But yep. I'm not going to wait till 72 most of the time. Right. Like it just, you know, because there might be someone who thinks like me because all it takes it is take one right. person right. that thinks like me. And all of a sudden now I don't have Brandon Lau on my team, you know, and I'm bummed out or, you know, and I have to go pivot to something maybe I didn't want. Um, and I think often we get too caught up uh, as drafters in the group think, oh, the, these people think this about a player. So that means that's where his value is. No, no. That's where a lot of people think his value is. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yep. And often the group, you know, the group is often right in the, you know, in the, the grand total of all the players, like, you know, it's more right than it's wrong. But when we're talking about individual, individual players, individual talent, the group can be way off at times, you know, right. this is why, you know, Blake Snell, you know, the year he had his Cy Young was going like pick 160 or 170. The group was wrong. 
So if you felt like you, you know, if you were Yancey Eaton and thought you were that Blake Snell was going to have that big year, then like you say, screw 170, he's mine at 140. And like you, like when someone goes, well, that's a reach. No, it's not. Cause I'm, it's just, I'm not thinking like the rest of the group. Right. Right. I, I absolutely agree. And that was actually one of the biggest things for, um, my draft champions win is that I had two guys circled as later round targets where I was willing to go up 20, 30 picks from where they were going. Cause I still felt it was a good, a good pick at then. And it was Hey Oscar and, and Corbin Burns. And I think I went about 20, 25 picks up on each guy. Um, and because I was like, I, I like where they're going. And at that point I wanted to get them and not wait, not wait, not, you know, try to, get out 20 more picks or 10 more picks if you feel confident just go for it you know bump them up and go for it and and like don't forget like things change right Corey burns was one of those guys early in draft season going outside of like the top 250 right and then by the time we got to like main event drafts in well it ended up being in july but even like as we were getting closer in march like all of a sudden like he started just shooting up like if you want to see like how volatile the ADP market is. Go look at my pieces on fan graphs. I'm doing a series right now. It's a ADP market mm-hmm. uh, report. And so like every few weeks I'm doing it each position, like here are the big gainers here, are big, you know, droppers. And especially at like the, the big positions like pitcher outfield, you're seeing some guys jump up 50 spots in a month. Yeah. Wow. And we still got two months of draft season. And that's if the season doesn't get delayed a month. Right. Right. So like they're going to there's going to be huge shifts in the ADP. Um, and that's because the group think will change as, you know, big names in the industry start saying things as injuries happen, things. Um, and so ultimately, like, yes, ADP is a useful tool to give yourself some good guesses in a draft. But ultimately, all it is, is other people you know, it's a, it's a collection of, you know, other people's drafts. Right. Exactly. It's it's not that useful. Right. You're just utilizing it for yourself to know, like you said, like I could wait on this guy um, in this range and then take advantage of that, you know, and that's where it just best, best comes in handy. Um, One, one saying that I really love uh, Ron Chandler always puts in the forecaster is um, he says the, the market value of a player is the last dollar of it. I don't want to bid on him. Like, you know, cause that's true. Like, you know, whatever the, you know, your AAVs are on a guy, once you get to the draft table, someone can change it, you know, with a couple of bids, that's it. And that's the new market for that guy, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. so. and that, I mean, that happens like every year in like some of these drafts where people are like, you know, you start analyzing like either industry drafts, or you start analyzing like big money leagues that we, you know, we write articles about or podcasts about, and people go, oh, well, that was, a, he overspent there, or he, you know, or he reached there, or this was a steal, like, you know, at the price or the traffic. Um, and the bottom line is, like, we don't know. Like, right. it's like, <laughs> like, 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 I'd love to be able to tell you I know exactly how these players are going to do at the end of the year. But if I did, I wouldn't be talking to you because I'd be rolling around in my piles of money. Right. You know, from right. all the leagues I have won. And that's just nobody's doing that. So, right. um, you know, you know, take guys where you want to take them. Yeah. I think it's important to, you know, just 
we know how much we're wrong in this game. That's why I think when you do your player evaluation, you know, you, you can have your convictions. And and like you said before, too, like be open to maybe thinking about, am I viewing this player wrong, you know? Um, and, 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 you know, have, have a clear conviction on a player and, you know, just, just understand that you could be right and you could be wrong. Just like you said, like if we were right all the time or if it was easy, then yeah, we, we wouldn't be up. Well, I wouldn't be up at 1234. Actually, you know what? I I still would be, Justin, because this is a bunch of fun. So Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like my <laughs> wife, we were playing the Powerball when it got to like 300 or actually got over what, to almost like a billion dollars or something like that. Wow. And she goes, what would you do if we won? I was like, I'd make the coolest fantasy site anybody's ever seen. Like, and she's like, really? I was like, yeah, man, I wouldn't stop working. Like, I wouldn't work the day job, that's for sure. Um, right. You know, but right. and I'd be, I'd be in a much cooler studio than a uh, outside, like you know, um, storage, you know, shed. Um, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, like I love doing this. So, like, right. I, yeah, I mean, if, if I was a multimillionaire, I'd still be doing it. Yeah, I mean, because you, you wouldn't stop playing, you know, you just oh, you no. wouldn't stop absorbing content. So at that mm-hmm. point, yeah, you're still gonna do it. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, all right, so I had a question about a couple of – so one thing that stood out to me about your team that I wanted to ask you about is I feel like on the – okay, so on the one draft champion team, um, the one you have Meadows, Buxton, Hap, Nemo, Sandel, Akiyama, Mazara. Um, do you feel like you're going to get enough volume from this group, or is that like um, a part of – like your build where you're just willing to um, take guys as they fall into like a, a spot that you want to take them. Yeah. I mean, I try to supplement, you know, with, you know, when I take shots on guys like that, mm-hmm. that maybe they don't have a clear role or, you know, they've got an injury risk or something where, you know, I, I can't just pencil in 600 plate appearances or something like that. I try to supplement them maybe in other positions or, or give myself a lot of roster flexibility to move guys around. I think, you know, especially this year where, um, you know, and, and we saw it in 2020 where like a lot of, you know, we saw a lot of injuries, but we also saw the COVID issues. We saw, you know, uh, you know, whole teams miss time. Um, you know, it's really important to get that roster flexibility to kind of cover those spots. Ultimately, I tend to like to draft towards talent. And because I think as long as I mean, obviously, you don't want to load up too many injury guys on your team. I've made that mistake in the past. Right. That's been widely publicized. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, ultimately, though, I, I just want talented guys because I think the talent's going to show through. Um, and I think that some of those guys, you know, like Akiyama is one of those guys where he's going really, really late. Um, you know, there's a talk that like, you know, he could be in a platoon. But I think once the DH comes in the National League and the Reds seem like sellers, but they're not going to be able to sell him. They can't move his contract. Right. Uh, like, I think he's going to end up playing more than maybe people in his ADP would suggest that he would. And so, like, I'll take gambles, especially early on in draft season before some of these, you know, some of these teams have kind of finalized their roster. I'll take gambles on guys that I think um, – you know, there's more playing time coming than maybe people are projecting, you know, and like one of the, one of the guys that is already kind of, um, you know, panned out for me is like, I got a lot of shares of Andres Jimenez mm-hmm. before he was, you know, traded in the Lindor deal because it was like, 
you looked at that roster and you went, okay, yes, it's crowded. But one, the DH is going to come to the National League, or at least we all feel like it, or a lot of us feel like it's going to come to the National League. And two, like we knew the Mets were going to make moves and we really did think it was going to be a Lindor trade. And it's like either people, they're going to trade Rosario off the team or they're going to trade Jimenez in that Lindor trade. And that's going to open up a whole bunch of playing time. And so like I got him like outside the top 200 um, or top 250 in a bunch of drafts, like back in November and December. Right. And now that feels really good. That feels good. So, <laughs> right. It does, you know. Uh, like Brandon Nimmo is another example on that same Mets team, where it's like, like, well, what happens when they sign Springer? Right. Well, what happens if they don't sign Springer? Now he's leading off in front of Lindor and company. Right. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's a calculated risk type thing. And I know there are a lot of people, you know, the aforementioned um, Dave McDonald and Jake Hallisker over at the High Stakes Heat Pod, they really preach like, you know, you can take risks, but don't take a lot. Like don't, don't gamble. I'm much more um, okay with taking the risks, uh, especially if I have a good rationale behind it. Um, And especially if I'm getting good value with those risks, you don't want to take the risks early on where it could just blow up in your face. And you're like, Oh, now my third round pick is, you know, you know, not worth that. Like, you know, you know, unfortunately, and there are a couple times where that's happened because I, I have taken Nero Naranato in the third round, and and now he's going to be like a fifth round pick. I, right. I still I still think he's going to be fine, but ultimately, you know, that's those are the situations in which it kind of you you go, oh crap, this is the peril of potentially drafting early, um, and taking those risks early, or if you know your second round pitcher blows out his elbow before opening day. But I feel pretty comfortable with my ability to kind of not just dissect players, but dissect what teams are going to do um, mm-hmm. that I can kind of take some of the risks. If you, if you're not able to do that, or if you don't listen to people that like to do that um, or have that kind of uh, insight, then that's not for you. But uh, if it is like, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. Like I, if I, if I can look at a team and go, okay, these are, these are the paths to playing time. I'm okay. Taking maybe a player that other people are down on because of a playing time situation or an injurious situation and go, okay, here's, here's my, you know, additional ability to profit. Right. Right. It's like, um, one thing I love, I use the, uh, to, um, draft, I use the Ron Chandler BAB system and he has an injury ledger and an experience ledger. So, um, if, if it'll calculate your team, like, you know, and show if you're short, like, um, on having experienced players, if you're taking too many rookies, and also, and the injury ledger just is there too, as to say, it's just a quick, quick reminder. Hey, you're rostering guys who you know maybe more prone to injury, so don't don't do too many. You know, like he has, there's like an adjusted uh, number that you can make for each 15 team league and 12 team league, and it's just a simple thing to use. Um, and and like you said, just know when to take it, you know, you're going to embrace some risk, but just being smart about, you know, when, when you want to, you know, roster it onto your team, you know, um, with a guy like Andre Jimenez as a Met fan, I saw it last year, like even 
as soon as the draft started up in the in November and December, I'm like, I gotta get this guy. I watch the games. I'm like, wherever he goes, stays on the Mets, he's gonna stay on the field because he's just got a slick glove and he's just like a professional hitter already. He's just so sound with the bat, you know, just like as a baseball fan, I'm like, this guy is not coming off the field. But for every um time I took him at 200, I may have picked, uh, uh, I think I have a Tanaka share and that sucks. And I think, <laughs> I think I have a November Howie Kendrick share that I'm just looking oh. at like, and I'm just like, why Robert, why? And that's like the, the fun and the pitfalls of drafting <laughs> early. Like, you know, yeah. there's some people that say like, I will not do a draft before March. And if that's how you prefer to play, yeah, more power to you. Um, I think you find some interesting deals. Like we did a draft. I don't know. Were you in that November draft that we did uh, that like started in the world series? No, um, I, no, I wasn't a part of that. And like, I look at my team and I go, Oh, Oh, that's a really bad pick, you know, in certain spots. And then I, and then I look at some other spots and I go, Oh, okay. Like I got Brandon Lau way later than, uh, than other people did because he was really struggling in the regular season and then popped back out in the postseason a little bit. So, um, you know, I mean, the nice thing about that is like the, you know, we talk about how much information is out there. There's not as much information in November and December. Right. You really start getting all the information now in the rest, you know, through draft season. Um, and so if you're really in tune, um, or you're, you're following people who are really in tune, uh, you know, while other people are still focused on football yep. or basketball, then like, you know, those early drafts can like really, you can build some pretty amazing teams uh, before the rest of the field kind of catches up. Absolutely agree. It's definitely a, a double-edged sword. You know, you're lacking the information, but also, like you said, if you're, if you're on it and you're paying attention to guys who are on it, then you're, you know, you, you you're coming in with um a good a good chance to do well at least you know mm-hmm. um one thing i wanted to ask you about um i know so in one of the dcs you had 27 batters 23 pitchers the other one the battle of podcast was 25 and 25 do you have a specific aim or is that just like part of your you know like weaving through the draft and it'll get like in a specific range i mean I kind of like doing the, the 27 hitters, 23 pitchers, but it's not like, like, I know there are people out there that do like, this is set in stone. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have this amount of hitters and this amount of pitchers for me, because I'm not, because my draft strategy changes a lot and it changes in draft. I, I kind of supplement the back end of my roster to fill in whatever holes I feel I've got. So you know, it, you know, if maybe um, I think it was 25, 25, I think was the battle of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my pitching staff is a lot weaker than the rest of my, than my offense. Like I feel really comfortable about my offense and my pitching staff is, you know, because everybody else was taking pitching so early, I, you know, and I waited on pitching. I took more pitchers to kind of supplement, especially because I took guys with more injury risk as pitchers right. for their upside and so it's, it's for me, I don't want to be beholden to a certain number. Like I've got a general idea of what I want to do, but ultimately it's going to, you know, as we start getting into like the last 10 rounds of a draft, I'm really looking at 
how much roster flexibility I have, where's my risk, uh, you know, my biggest risks, um, you know, you know, where's my playing time risk, where's my injury risk, and where do I need to fill in that at the back end uh, to kind of wrap things up. And so every draft is going to be a little bit different. Some drafts I'm going to, you know, have 22 pitchers, uh, some I'm going to have 23, some I might have 25 and make it a 50-50 split. It's, it's, it's really uh, kind of open-ended based on how the rest of the draft has gone. Gotcha. Yeah. It, uh, I think, I think like what you said, pay attention to how, you know, what your strengths are during the draft and you can afford to flex a little bit um, toward batters or pitchers, depending on that, you know, and just one of the, when I go pitch in early, I know that I can, I can maybe get some more bats if I feel comfortable mm -hmm. that, you know, that I have a solid base there. Um, it's, it's all great. It's all wonderful. Uh, it's all wonderful to think about it and then try to execute it. You know, it's, it's just the best. What's better than fantasy baseball? I, I don't know. I don't think there's much. Right. Um, what do you, what, what would you tell people the best advice to um, in how to prepare for a 15 team league and a 12 team league. Do you feel like there's any noticeable difference like in how you should construct your roster or evaluate the talent? I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, certain stats or certain positions are going to, you know, become a lot more thin a lot quickly, a lot more quickly in a 15. Um, and if like, you know, I'm mostly a 15 team league player. That's what I prefer. You know, I, you know, I grew up on, you know, only leagues. Right. And so like, I'm, you know, my, my strengths come from like really deep into a player pool. And so it's actually a little bit of a culture shock when I do do a 12 team draft, because yeah. <laughs> I get to like the end of like the 30th round and I go, look at all these guys still on the board. Um, but like, you know, if you're going to do a 12 and especially if you're going to do like a 50 round draft and hold a 12, like I'm much more likely to put more relievers on my team to you know, because if you need two closers in a 15, you need at least three in a 12. And with the attrition rate of closers, you know, you're wanting to really load up on that as opposed to, you know, okay, I feel pretty comfortable rolling with like three closers and a few extra relievers in a 15. Um, you know, there's certain positions that I'm much more likely to wait on in a, in a 12 than I am a 15, like catcher is one of those examples. Like I could easily do a 12 team two catcher draft, uh, like a 50 round draft and hold and not draft, draft a catcher until like the 35th round. Like, I just feel that comfortable about like the difference between, you know, the bottom tier and the middle tier. And it's like, okay, um, you know, pitching is the same way. Like I'm much more comfortable in a 12 waiting on pitching than I am on a, in a 15, because in a 15, it just dries up so quick, especially with we're seeing these pitching prices go through the roof. Whereas yeah. in a 12, it's like, you know, you know, we're in a 12 right now. And what we just started with the 39th round. Yeah. You're on the um, clock. Oh, 41st round. Um, like, and like I got Adrian Hauser yeah, hey. in last, last round. And I'm like, 
in a 15 team league, he was gone a long time ago, but now, time ago. you know, but now there's still guys who are going to get 130, 150 innings available in this 12. Um, and so like, I can wait on the starting pitching a, a little bit more, I think in a 12, as opposed to a 15. Uh, but I mean, it's the same, it, it's, it's a, it's the same kind of like philosophy, you know, in terms of my draft style, I'm still taking like the best available player for the most part mm -hmm. um, early on and then kind of filtering in where I need that uh, uh, you know, where I need the help later on. But the, the drop-offs in a 15 to a 12 are so much more massive. Um, and that's, that's where I'm a little bit more careful in, in a 12 and a 15 team. Yeah, I it's there's so many there's so many things to think of. And I I wanted to go. I know you mentioned like the closer thing. You want to have some more maybe in this 12 team or so. It was actually one of the reasons I did Hater and Chapman back to back in the fourth and fifth, because I was like, you know what, let me let me try. Actually, you know, the, the fifth and sixth round, let me just try. That's not my normal approach in 15 team leagues. I kind of like to wait and get maybe my first one around like 13, 14. And sometimes I even wait a little longer and just pound them, pound the next man up like later on. But this one, I'm like, OK, let me let me see this let me do this and as soon as I took it I was like oh like this I felt comfortable I was like wow this is mm -hmm. this is nice you know it's it, it's a change because it's a total different approach from what I normally do so and that, um, that's really funny because I'm the exact opposite I'm usually the guy that is in like a 15 team league like I'm totally okay or really in a league totally okay being the first guy to take a closer or one of the first you know right. guys to take a closer because as much as I know there's that don't pay for saves mentality out there uh, that come from back from like the old fantasy focus days. Um, like I, I don't like, like having to like guess it saves. Like I, I want to try to lock down my guys and not have to worry about it. Um, and in this draft, I did the exact opposite. Like I went, <laughs> okay. I, you know, I, I didn't take one of those early guys partially because you sniped, uh, you know, both those two guys. And I was like, well, okay, now I'm waiting. Um, and I, instead of, you know, taking my few guys that are locked in, I'm just pounding in here. I'm gonna t with my 41st selection, I'm going to take Trevor May, who I think nice. you know, the handcuff in, in for the Mets, um, you know, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, and it, it, it's nice to do some of these drafts where it doesn't go quite the way you usually draft. So that we kind of get, you get a little bit of practice and um, and I'm definitely doing that in this draft where I, I didn't draft, I drafted a, a starting pitcher to start off, you know, in, the, in round one. And then I didn't draft a closer, I think until like round 12 or something like that. Uh, and I didn't draft much speed. And so like, like it's the inverse of what I usually do um, in a draft, which is make sure I got my speed and my saves a little bit earlier than everybody else. So I don't have to worry about those scarce categories later. Um, and I like the team. I think it's an interesting team, uh, but yeah, uh, it definitely, I've definitely been uncomfortable in this draft because it's a little bit out of my element. I know. And I kind of like it. I, I, I did, I, I did a total different approach a normal and um, I like it, you know, I mean, I'm like, okay, it, it, it just, you know, I guess just, you're going to draft the guys that you want to draft and it, you're going to look at it and say, yeah, I like it. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully it plays that well, um, you know, um it's fun it's it's all good to get involved in this because i mean in the last three drafts that i've been in with you i just learned 
so much. You just learn so much about the market and just making some decision points and just just like banking picks in your head, banking um, what you're doing and what other people are doing, right? Because we, we've had a ton of great players in our leagues, you know? So mm-hmm. when there is a pick, right, like you said, oh, okay, like why does Zach, you know, like this player here, you know? Um, why does um, Matty Davis like this player here? And you look into it, you know, and I only think that makes you better watching other great players, you know, um, <clears throat> make picks and you're like, okay, um, what are they doing here, you know, and why? And then we get to talk to each other about it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the difference between me now and maybe a few years ago is when like I would, when people would be like, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this league. And it was someone I knew was a really good player. I'd be like, I'm not doing that league. That guy's really good. Um, whereas now, like I actually, especially early on in draft season right now, like I, you know, I see Vlad or Toby, um, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm jumping in this, this 15 team DC. And I go, Oh, okay. I want to get in it. Cause I want to see who they're drafting one because there's a chance that they're in my main event league later on. Right. And I want to see how they're drafting this year and the players they're targeting and when they're targeting them. Um, but also like, I want the best competition, like, Absolutely. You, know, I, I, you know, and um, I want, I want to see like, you know, if it, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I don't know if Vlad actually likes this person, but like if Vlad drafts um, Manny Margot in the 10th round, and I go, oh, okay, maybe I need, you know, I respect Vlad, you know, I, you know, right. maybe I need to go and, you know, take a deeper dive into Manny Margot and see why he's, you know, why he's drafting him that early, um, you know, or if, you know, if Toby takes, you know, a certain player in the 23rd round, then I'm like, oh, I didn't even have him in, you know, as like a top 300, top 350 pick. And now I've got to go take a look at why, Toby thinks this guy should be going here or Michael Simeone likes Michael Lorenzen. Like, okay, I need to go in and figure out why, why Michael Lorenzen uh, is, you know, on every single one of Michael Simeone's team. Right. Uh, and and then like, it's like the thing with Mike too now with him is like, we're all like, we can't take, you can't take Lorenzen. You gotta let Mike get Lorenzen. <laughs> oh man. My, my, Mike's going to learn one way or the other. Um, you know, uh, the lesson that I, I learned on early on in my career doing this is when you're the only person or you're, when you're the main person or the first person pumping a guy that becomes your guy Fuck for yeah, better man. or worse. Yeah, man. Um, you know, cause I still get, or if you're doing the opposite, if you're against you you don't like a certain player, like that becomes your arch enemy, your, your, your nemesis. Um, Cause I still get people trolling me on Dansby Swanson. I'm like, yeah, that comment was four years ago and I was right. Like, you know, or uh, like people still bring up Chris Stratton. Uh, Chris Stratton. <laughs> wow. Know, three or four <laughs> years later. Uh, like that become, that becomes the guy you're tied to forever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I know. you know, with, with, you know, with, you gotta uh, live with it. Yeah. Michael Simeon with, with Lorenzen and, uh, um, you know, uh, Dave McDonald with, with Plesak and right. uh, these are, these are your guys. I hope you, you, you're in it for life now. <laughs> never let you forget if this goes wrong and everybody will forget if it, if it goes right. 
Right. And that's just, that's the beauty of, of playing this is, you know, we'll hit on our guys and we'll be totally wrong on our guys and we'll just keep doing it, you know, and mm -hmm. until we think we're getting better at it. And even if we just get like 1% better at it, it's still, it's still such a big gain in our, in our brains. Like, yes, like, you know, I'm doing better. I'm getting better. <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's awesome. And, and that's like the big thing too, like that. I don't think like people uh, do enough of is kind of really digging into what, what you got wrong. Right. Like for me, like, um, like, don't get me wrong. Like my first run at the main event was brutal. Right. I just, I made, I made a lot of mistakes and then a lot of bad things happened on top of those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and it, it was awful for me. And, and it has been a running joke now for three years, um, about how bad that main event team was. Um, and you know, and the mistakes I made in that main event team, but, while I did light $1,700 on fire that year, I learned a lot. Like I learned Absolutely. a lot about how you play in the NFBC and, you know, at that high of a level. Um, and it really benefited me, you know, since then. And I think I've become a better player for it. And it's not because I went, well, that was just a bad year. Forget it. No, I really dug into the mistakes I made. Um, and I own them, you know, one of the things I, you know, I, I remind people of, uh, and I, and I constantly do on podcasts and in articles is own my mistakes mm -hmm. because we're all going to make them like, you know, um, and you know, the, the key is it, can you learn from it? And if you can learn from it, you're going to be a better player and you're not going to make those same kind of mistakes in the future. Um, and I think often the easy way is to pretend that the mistake didn't happen you know right, right. um and that's that isn't how you become a better fantasy player and that isn't how you become a better analyst totally agree i, my, I had my first experience with the main event last year and even it was just like the short season um i had so much time invested into preparing for this season and i was like i'm gonna play it i'm gonna you know i want to get the experience in it and yeah uh you know it wasn't it wasn't great i got into with phil the so rob silver mark rebo i mean it was uh, amongst others i mean every league is is great and i was just i was by like week three or four i was already taking notes about what i what i need to do next year like you know mm -hmm. i it was already, it was such an, um, an instant impact in my brain of what I did wrong and what I needed to correct. And I just kept like a running log. Okay, I need to do this better, I need to do this better. Like, and then like fab too, like in season, I'm like, okay, I need to get better at this too. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it was an expensive lesson, but it was, it was a great experience and can't, can't replace it. I, I learned so much from it. And that, I mean, that's the beauty of playing in NFBC. And I know not everybody likes playing in NFBC. Not everybody can play in NFBC because right. of state restrictions and stuff. But right. if you can, I highly recommend you do just for the experience of playing against that kind of talent. Because, like, so when I went out to New York for my first main event, um, I sat down at the table and, you know, they did this little presentation thing. They were inducting, uh, uh, God, I can't remember who it was. Someone into the in the into the main event Hall of Fame. Okay. Wow. And they go, okay, everybody who's a main or everybody's an FBC Hall of Famer, please stand up. And five people in my draft stood up. Wow. And I went, oh crap. 
this yeah. is not okay. Uh, <laughs> the only five people standing in that room at that moment were sitting at my table, uh, you know, my draft table. Um, but I learned a lot by watching them draft, by watching them do fab, you know, um, because, you know, like I, we talked about at the beginning, like I want to, you know, it's a game, right? And so the way you win the game is by outplaying everybody else. Right. And these guys are great at playing the game. And so, like I said, like previous, you know, when I first started playing some of these big money leagues, I would search who were in the leagues. And I'm like, oh, I'm not joining that league. I'll join this league. I don't, you know, th there's no like real big names in this league. But now I do the opposite because I want to learn and figure out, okay, what is this guy doing that makes him so successful? So like, I'm not afraid of KC Chaw. You know, I know he's a really good player, but I want to play against him because he's so good. I can learn something from him. He bought a nine pack, I think, of best ball. So if you want your opportunity, <laughs> he's been in the best balls a lot. Um, <laughs> um, especially too, like, you know, saying like, oh, you know, Vlad and Toby, they put a tweet out and it's like, come join the league. It's, it's also, you know, like, hey, you know, come, come play with me. So at the same time, like you're saying, you want the competition, you want to play against better competition to, you know, be a better player. And at the same time, it's like, Hey, come, come, you know, come join me. So we go, mm -hmm. right. We, you know, we see the tweets and we're like, Hmm, we check the clock. We check our schedule. And we're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's the beauty of it, man. The beauty it of really it. Is. Cool, man. Justin, I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me tonight and talking. This has been a great talk. Um, I learned a lot about the history of fantasy. You know, I love, I love learning. Um, I'm so immersed in the history of it and how it came about and how everyone played a part in bringing it to where it is now. So it's great to have you on and hear about all the wonderful things that, that, that you're doing out there, man. Just keep it up. It's, it's very inspirational and motivational. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's been a real blast listening to all your episodes, man. You keep pumping them out there. You're doing really great work. Thanks, buddy. You really appreciate it, man. You want to give everyone um, a little plug again so they know where to find your stuff if they don't know by now, but say it again anyway. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB. I'm also on Facebook with a, a public profile, so uh, you can always friend request me over there if you're still doing the Facebook thing. I'm, I'm not really on it. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I mean, I, I'm not a photogenic person and I don't like taking photos. So I mean, that's, <laughs> um, and I don't do Snapchat, so you can't send me snaps. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what the other ones are. Bumble. TikTok I, is huge now, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I, I did TikTok for a minute, and then my wife's like, no, you're spending too much time on TikTok. It's like, all right, I'll delete that app. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, Twitter's the place I'm mostly at in terms of like social media. Uh, you can catch uh, my work. I pretty much write pretty close to daily over at Fangraphs, uh, you know, on the, on the fantasy side of things there, uh, you know, write at Friends Fantasy Benefits. Um, I'm doing podcasts, uh, at what the sleeper in the bus, friends of fantasy benefits and TGFBI. Uh, and I might have a couple more things in the works that I can't quite announce. So, but follow me on Twitter at Justin Mason FWFB and I'll be tweeting those out soon as well. Sweet, man. Thanks, Justin. God bless you, buddy. Thank you for having me on brother. Take care, man. That will conclude this episode of the Poe Hitter podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 
once again, thank you for anyone who has left a nice rating and review for the podcast. It really, truly helps um, and much appreciative. If you do happen to leave a rating or review, you could take a snapshot of it. DM me on Twitter at DeadPoeHitter with the screenshot and I'll send you some Poehitter swag and some baseball cards if that interests you at all. Other than that, just catch me on Twitter at DeadPoeHitter. The podcast page is at Pod. And yeah, you can hit me up with any questions about league format, strategy, the DMs are open. Um, very willing to talk and explain process um, or further help you with your process as well. So, alright folks, have a great day. Don't be a bag shit. <laughs>